I ferment everything. I ferment green tomatoes. I ferment daikon radishes are one of my favorite. And daikon radishes are so nutrient dense and they've got dense and they've got that bitter to it, which is one of those taste buds that we have a hard time getting. And when you ferment them, they're crunchy or crunchier than a pickle, right? Absolutely delicious. When you ferment a vegetable, whether it's a carrot or a daikon or a green tomato, it is going to concentrate, make everything way more bioavailable in the nutrients rather than just eating it raw. It just amplifies it. It's the transformative action of microorganisms that turn that sugar into this carbohydrate that becomes ready available to those beautiful gut microbiome that needs that attention. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. Today, we're going to dive deep into the world of fermented foods and how you can create your favorites in your own kitchen. But before we get started with that, I first want to go ahead and talk about a specific question that came in from our community. This is from Kathy, who's a listener of the show. She says, I have a question regarding the balance of omega-3 and omega-6. I recently listened to your question and answer podcast, and you talked about having an imbalance of omega-6 to omega-3 as something that is related to absorption concerns as well. I didn't really follow what you were saying, so I wondered if I could get some clarification. The comment that really caught my attention was how eating a peanut butter sandwich would negate the benefits of the chia pudding that you just treated yourself to. So I felt like there's a little bit more discussion because I think it's easy for us to get confused when it comes to these things. So what it comes down to when you consume a diet that's high in things like peanut oil, even in that peanut butter sandwich, you are consuming a linoleic acid source, which is the plant form of omega-6. This is present in all of your seed oils. It could be your corn oil, your safflower oil, and it could also be that peanut oil, that legume, so to speak. Now, your body competes to break that linoleic acid down into its downstream metabolite, arachidonic acid, which you happen to get a direct source of if you're eating things like animal meats. Omega-3s on the other side, if you're consuming something like chia seed, which does have a good source of omega-3s and the alpha-linolenic acid form, that's the upstream version that isn't quite at the EPA and DHA yet that your body might need in order to combat that overconsumption of linoleic acid and arachidonic acid from animal sources. So even a vegetarian who consumes, let's say, a plant-based diet and quite a bit of omega-6s from those plant seed oils can fall out of balance because they're getting so much more of the omega-6 and they don't get as much omega-3 from that chia seed or that chia pudding. And their bodies compete. The enzymes that are used to break down the linoleic acid omega-6 
or the alpha linolenic acid omega-3 into, on the omega-6 side, arachidonic acid, and on the omega-3 side, EPA and DHA, which you hear about from fish oil and algae oils. To get to these two things, you're using the same enzymes. And if you overconsume omega-6s, you aren't going to get the EPA and DHA that your body needs from that plant-based source because you're just in this constant competition. So that's why it has been such an amazing tool to have in our toolbox to go to direct sources of EPA and DHA. Traditionally, you would go to fish oil for that. But the reality is that if you're trying to eat plant-based, you're not going to go to fish oil. You're not going to get that EPA and DHA. So you can go to algae. Now technology has come far enough that you can get a really good source of direct EPA and DHA from algae. And if you're going to Orlo Nutrition, you get that in the polar lipid form, which is even more bioavailable than something that is taken from another source like fish oil, right? And so ultimately at the end of the day, you are getting a direct benefit of the omega-3. You don't have to worry about whether or not your body is competing with the other fats that might be in your diet that are plant sourced to get the EPA and the DHA. So you are able to therefore quash your inflammatory concerns. Your body gets into balance. The omega-3s help you reach homeostasis so that your body can be its healthiest. I hope that helps clear things up. And to Kathy and anyone else listening to the show who wants to dive more deeply into this, I welcome future questions. You can always send email notes to hello at orlonutrition.com, or you can reach out via social channels just by messaging us at Orlo Nutrition. Now let's dive back in to this week's topic as I get ready to introduce you to my friend, Donna Maltz. Donna is known as the ferment queen and also mama Donna. She is a certified health coach and has been a professional chef and baker since 1982. She is an inspirational individual. She's a TEDx speaker, and she's a podcaster too, with her own show titled A Dose of Positivity. Now, yours truly was pleased to be a guest on that show, so I'll have to share that link with show notes so that you can hear from both of us as you get to know Donna today. Now, Donna believes that from medicine to meals, from biochar to harvest, there are opportunities and ways to build resilient bodies, souls, communities, and businesses. As she says, and I quote her here, one bite at a time, one choice at a time. She recently released her fifth book, which is called Get Cultured, Fermented Vegetables Made Easy. Donna, Mama Donna, Ferment Queen, welcome to the show. Oh, I feel so zesty. Thank you so much for having me, Karina. Well, perhaps we'll add some zest to people's fermentation diet and teach them how to get there. (laughs) So would you talk to us for a moment about your specific health journey? Because I know that part of what led you to like wanting to consume more things like fermented foods is also to manage your own health. So talk to us about that journey. Absolutely. And I also love the person who gave that question at the beginning. That was really great. And I encourage everybody to ask questions because that's how we get answers. Bring such amazing guests on. So you have such an opportunity. So that was a great question and a very good scientific answer. I might not be as scientific with this, but you can read the book to get all that information. My journey started actually when I came into my mom's womb, because that's where the microbes start, right? Is in the birth canal. 
And it's not all of us are born with as many microbes and nutrient dense uh, body and ability to break down foods. We can come into this world with our own mother's milk, for instance, or dairy or whatever have you. So our bodies change just like the seasons and the world is changing right now. And there's an opportunity to reinforce that. But my journey, I was born with a healthy gut microbiome actually, and I could eat anything so much so that I was invincible of meaning I could eat a bag of Tootsie Rolls in one sitting and then go and blow bazooka bubble gums in a, bubbles in a competition with my friends. And I became a sugaraholic and a foodaholic pretty much when I was young because I just thought that's what you do back in the 60s and the 70s. And we had no idea the industrial food complex was infiltrating our minds, our bodies, and our souls. And then when my father, actually, he was a dentist and he warned me, he said, Donna, you got to stop the sugar. And he's right. And I'll give you a big smile here. My teeth got wrecked. And this is where the digestion starts actually in our mouths. So when I was 25, I actually went from being an organic farmer and studying diet nutrition all through college, cleaned up my diet, became a super health freak. But then I started a restaurant, a bakery and a cafe in Alaska, the first natural foods, organic bakery and cafe in the state of Alaska in 1982. And I had those cravings for those brownies, but I made them organic. Those cravings for apple crisp, but they were organic. Even just eating too many carbohydrates with beans and rice and sourdough bread, because our name of our restaurant and our bakery was called the Fresh Sourdough Express. And we were specialized in sourdough bread, which is another fermentation process, which is a book I'll have to write one of these days. So sourdough bread, which is much better for you and, and a good, because it makes your the grain more bioavailable to you. Well, it breaks down the gluten too, right? So even some people who are a little gluten sensitive will do just fine on a good sourdough bread. Isn't that right? Absolutely. For most, not everybody. Well, if you're celiac, that's a different realm, right? Absolutely. And also depending if you're using fresh ground flour and you're getting organic grains, and especially if you can get heirloom grains, really the closer to the source, to the soil of the grain, the more digestible it is. But we'll get into that in a minute. I just, closing your first question, I know we went off several tangents. We could talk about a lot of microbes, right? We're going to focus on fermented vegetables, but the sourdough express, we start, we made our own sauerkrauts and our own fermented foods there too. But I ruined that beautiful gift that my mother gave me of having the just the right amount of mitochondria and microbes, the good and healthy bad bacteria, because you need like that 80-20 rule to keep up your immune system. I had that perfect balance and I got to 50-50 and then I got to 40-60 and then 30-60 and then I got fat sick and nearly dead when I was in my early 40s and got up to 205 pounds and five, two and a half inches got diagnosed with arthritis, irritated bowel syndrome. I was a workaholic. I seemed to have a memory lapse of everything that I had learned being an organic farmer, everything that I had learned getting to be a certified health coach. I just went, oh, blanco for a while. And it started with an injury and then not being able to exercise. But I got back into the fermented foods and that was the key to my weight loss. That was the key to restoring my gut microbiome. It was the key to restoring my mood and my self-esteem. And this is in about 2001, 2002. 
when I really got into it. I read Donna Gates' book, Body Ecology, which is another excellent book on fermentation food and just a good, well-rounded diet. I'm not a proponent of one diet over another because it gets back to fermented foods. It makes everything more bioavailable to you. But what's good for you might not be good for me, whether you're on a carnivore diet, a paleo, keto, vegan, vegetarian, whatever diet, we really need to understand, test, don't guess, find out where your body's at. I just want to say one thing that's so important here, and then you can pop on because at the very beginning, full disclosure, not everybody can eat fermented foods. Not everybody can eat, especially these lactobacterial fermented vegetable foods because they are high in histamines. And you know how you take antihistamines, right? Some people are histamine intolerant. And a lot of them are mostly like migraine sufferers. I want everybody to read this before. And it's also in my book. I talk about histamines. Very rare, but just like celiac disease is very rare, right? And you can't eat grain. But it's something to be aware of. And it could be something that could totally change your life, eliminating one food or another. And I know that you talk about all these great things on your show about that. So I just wanted to just in full circle say I found what was perfect for me. And it was that fermented vegetables that ignited the compost in my belly that fired up my digestion again and enabled me to lose the weight and feel better about myself and everything. Wow. Well, as we talk about our gut microbiome, I think it's important that we mention, at least for people, that the foods that you eat actually will dictate what types of microorganisms you have in your gut. And sometimes we'll get things like an infection that we might have to address with an antibiotic, as a for instance. We take that antibiotic and it can kill off a lot of the good bacteria as well, along with the bad. And so then we need to really work at reseeding the environment. A couple of products and tools that I've gone to over the years when I've had to have a course of antibiotics are some over-the-counter supplements that actually contain a broad spectrum of different probiotics in particular. One I'm thinking of is Healthy Trinity by Natrin. It's shelf-stable, but often in the refrigerated section to preserve that product. Or something like BioK, which is like a yogurt format, very, very high potency of different probiotics. They have both vegetarian sources from soy or from rice, and then also some that are in a medium of dairy, right? And so you can choose multiple different paths. These can help reseed your gut, but then you have to add back healthy food. And the healthy food you consume will actually dictate the probiotics that you have in your gut. So if you eat a lot of vegetables, you're going to have probiotics that are in your system that help you digest the vegetables. If you eat a lot of meat, you're going to have probiotics in your system that are going to help you digest the meats. So it's every system actually becomes tailor-made to the individual that's consuming it. There's even now some research where they're doing transplants of people's fecal matter into the gut of an individual to help reseed that environment. So I think what would be really helpful for me as we open this conversation is to hear from you which particular vegetables that you're working to ferment how you see them as laying into helping to create this healthy microflora, the probiotics that are in our gut that help us digest our foods. You can make your own probiotics that are 10 to 100 times more 
effective than something that you buy that's been processed and packaged, shelf stable, especially. And even in the refrigerator, it's very, very easy. We've gotten lazy as a society, and therefore you can take that same metaphor to your own digestive system. Our digestive systems have gotten lazy. Also, this is really important. You were talking about which vegetables to eat, right? So especially cabbage, I can never say the name right, but it's in the book and you can Google it. What is cabbage? It's this enzyme, specifically cabbage. And this is how people got through the famine too, is really supports your gut and helps even repair ulcers. So cabbage sauerkraut is, is very popular and probably to me, one of the best tasting. I ferment everything. I ferment green tomatoes. I ferment daikon radishes are one of my favorite. And daikon radishes are so nutrient dense and they've got dense and they've got that bitter to it, which is one of those taste buds that we have a hard time getting. And when you ferment them, they're crunchy or crunchier than a pickle, right? Absolutely delicious. When you ferment a vegetable, whether it's a carrot or a daikon or a green tomato, it is going to concentrate, make everything way more bioavailable in the nutrients rather than just eating it raw. It just amplifies it. It's the transformative action of microorganisms that turn that sugar into this carbohydrate that becomes ready available to those beautiful gut microbiome that needs that attention. I mean, you're speaking to a topic we cover often on this show, which really is bioavailability. When you speak to something like supplements, I know you mentioned you don't personally take something like the BioKs, for example. I want to be clear, BioK is like kefir. It's a yogurt product. So it's in the refrigerator and it's just hyper-concentrated and the level of the active probiotics are present within it. Now, we don't have any financial tie to BioK. I just really like their product. One of the things that I have a hard time with is that people will say, oh, well, I just took this course of antibiotics. I'm just going to go get some yogurt at the store and they'll pick up the Danon, <laughs> which isn't even really yogurt. It doesn't have the live bacteria in it that will actually help to reseed your gut. So if you've had a course of antibiotics and you think you're doing good by going to buy some yogurt, that may not be the best path. It may be better to go ahead into your cabinet to pull out some sauerkraut that you made from the recipes in your book. So I wanted to talk for a moment about how simple it is to make some of these recipes. Perhaps you could even just walk us through what it takes to create a sauerkraut. Great. And I'm going to give you a great analogy and I want everybody to just sit back and take this in. Okay. I'm sure some of you, because uh, you're listening to the show and you, and you know Karina and Care More Be Better show and type of people she interviews from the soil to the soul. Think of how a compost works. And if you take care of a compost, and I know this is going to sound like off track, but I really want to cover this because this is really important to your question. It's the combination of what we put in to the fermentation process that makes it easy. Okay. I'm trying to tie this together so everybody really gets it, but maybe it's because this is so important. I got to get this out before I answer that question. I want everybody to think about their guts right now in, in relation to a compost. And you'll see this if you watch the video that I'm providing for everybody who watches the show is you make compost and you have this raw vegetables, right? Just like if you're going to make sauerkraut in your kitchen, you got all this cabbage. You've got this raw stuff. You, th you start composting the composting process. If you have 
a good active compost, you are going to be able to turn that into compost very easily, rich, beautiful, loamy soil. If you have the right ingredients, if you have the right temperature, if you have the right mixture of NPK, nitrogen, phosphate, and potassium to break down your compost, okay? Most people, their digestion, if you look at a compost heap, you'll see eggshells and all whatever it is that you have. That's how a lot of people's digestion, it just stops right there. And it's constipating and it's painful. And then you look at it, it's more broken down. And that's kind of like maybe the average person thinking that they're doing okay. They're going to the bathroom maybe once a day, maybe every other day. But look at that compost. It's kind of slow. It's kind of stagnant, right? It needs to be turned. It needs maybe some more carbon. It needs the right chemistry to break it down. But it's better than the first pile of, which is like crap. (laughs) Then you go all the way to the end and you have all the right ingredients and you have the right timing, the right temperature, and you've turned the soil and you get this beautiful, rich, loamy, microbiome rich compost in a very short time because you did it right and you had the right combination. It's quick. People think, oh gosh, you know, you have to compost. It is so easy, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. But I think people lose sight of the connection of our microbiome to the connection of how we're treating the earth and the soil. Well, and the microbiome, it's essentially related to soil because our food comes from the soil and the food is grown using the nutrients that exist in the soil because there's a biome there too. And so some residuals from that soil even get onto the vegetable matter, which sometimes you also ingest. And this can be a problem for people if it's the bad bacteria. That's when you'll have recalls suddenly of romaine lettuce because it was infiltrated with some bacteria that makes people very, very sick. But there's also healthy bacteria in there too. So it's not like you can just go directly to the soil and eat soil, though I think many of us as children might have done that. And perhaps it did help to create a nice microbiome too. We do need to get back to this consistent good source of food and the foods that we give our bodies and they contain the prebiotics that will actually help to seed the gut in an ongoing way. And if we are consuming foods that are irritations to our microbiome, like if we're consuming way too much sugar, as a for instance, you mentioned yeast, you can have a yeast overgrowth or a yeast bloom. That's where you might hear about things like candida, candida overgrowth. You get a yeast infection in women. Well, men can also suffer from situations like that. You can have it appear in your mouth as thrush, white spots or sores on the tongue, things along these lines. And this is all indicative of our systems falling out of whack. And so by addressing our diet, by incorporating things like fermented foods, which provide great source for nutrition in a more bioavailable form so that we can build that healthy gut. I mean, we're talking about poop here, but so that our bowel movements are regular so that we can see in our stool that our food has actually been digested, that it's not overly fibrous, you're not seeing bits of things that perhaps you don't want to see there. So we really can get to a space where our gut is as healthy as that really rich, loamy soil that you mentioned when you're making great compost. The tie-in is so important. That's that whole soil to soil or soil to gut microbiome. Our guts are our second brain. The compost, just thinking about composting what doesn't serve you and nurturing what does. 
And when you take that metaphor and you bring that into the kitchen and you look what's in your refrigerator, there's room for a jar of sauerkraut. There's room for some fermented green tomatoes out of because you went to the farmer's market and they, they had them a really good deal on cucumbers or whatever to make pickles, or you're growing it in your very own garden or rooftop garden in your apartment building. It can be that easy. It's just like prioritize. What are we prioritizing in our lives? We're making all this money so we can go out and buy expensive products to help make us feel better, or we can work on making things that are super simple that you can do for an hour on a Sunday afternoon once a month. And you get to go to the farmer's market or you get to go to the grocery store. You get to get your kids and go, guess what we're doing today? We're making pickles. I don't know many kids that don't like pickles. And then they get a hand in it and they make the pickles or they have the sauerkraut on their organic free range hot dog or their tofuti hot dog, whatever people are eating these days. Anything that they're eating, if they're eating with fermented pickles, not vinegar, shelf-stable pickles, not shelf-stable sauerkraut. I'm talking about rich, zesty, microbiome-rich fermented foods that took you an hour to make. It's going to make everything more bioavailable. Your children, your family, your friends, and all you need is the tablespoon to get the benefits. One tablespoon of sauerkraut or one small little pickle is going to fire up that free range local organic steak you had <laughs> or your vegan vegetarian meal is going to make all the difference in the world and you're going to feel better. Your skin's going to clear up. When you are eating fermented foods, you're getting vitamin K, you're getting vitamin D, you're getting zinc, you're getting all these trace minerals, many of which you can't find in just eating a regular vegetable, or you're getting it in a much more concentrated form. You mentioned vitamin K right there. So I want to pause for a moment and talk about that because one of the most popular fermented foods in Japan is natto, right? I personally do not like the taste of natto. It is not something that likes to pass these lips, but for those people who are into it, you can get natto sushi rolls at certain Japanese or Korean Japanese restaurants and actually consume it in its raw form. You can also get extracts of natto that are vitamin K2, which are highly absorbable into your system, which do some really vital things. So when you get enough vitamin K2 in your system, a couple of things happen. They act like traffic cops in your body. They essentially reside in your soft tissue and they tell calcium not to go there, right? Like don't go into my soft tissues, don't clog up my arteries, go to my bones and teeth, build healthy, strong bones. So if you're consuming a vitamin D supplement every day and you're consuming, let's say more than the general thousand IU of vitamin D, you should probably make sure that you're a multivitamin or that you're eating, let's say more fermented foods because they also happen to have vitamin K2 in them so that you're augmenting that system so that your calcium goes where it's needed and not where it's not. You can build healthy bones and teeth, keep your joints clear, ensure you've got good joint comfort, good cardiovascular health. And this has actually been part of the missing equation and the whole bone health conversation where we say, okay, we're going to take calcium and vitamin D for bone health. Well, guess what? When women do that, we don't actually have a reduced risk for fractures as current science would be showing us, right? But it could also be because they're not consuming enough of the vitamin K2. So if we get these things in balance, we can do it from our diet. We just have to be mindful. 
Things like cruciferous vegetables are high in calcium. They also have inborn vitamin K1, which is less bioavailable, but it's very present. So if you're going to foods for nutrition, you're going to nutrient-dense foods, you're going to often get these co-partner nutrients that are required by your system to be its healthiest. Now, I am allergic to broccoli, so I can't go to broccoli for my calcium. However, I can go to things like kale and other crucifers just fine. So interesting. Everyone's different. Get to know your body. Listen to it. When you eat something, does it feel good? Hopefully you don't have a histamine reaction to those pickles and you can dive deep into the world of fermented foods. I want to say that one of my favorite, favorite things to ferment is broccoli and cauliflower. And you put in some red peppers and green peppers. You can't believe what an amazing, beautiful holiday gift it makes when you take the time to make a few extra jars and you've got white cauliflower and you've got green broccoli and you got red peppers in the jar and you're fermenting that and you're bringing that to a holiday party. It is so simple getting all that vitamin K for yourself and you're sharing that and this information as well. So it's such a great holiday idea. People are doing jams and jellies with lots of sugar. Why not take those same jars and fill them with this rich probiotic nutrient dense food that's going to help heal somebody's gut and make them feel better? What a great idea, huh? Yeah, fantastic. Now, I've touched on this a couple of times. And because you've mentioned all these fabulous recipes you can make in an hour or less, just walk us through that. How do you prepare, let's say, a simple sauerkraut? A simple sauerkraut is all you do is you go, and this is a kind of an interesting thing about the cabbage. In the summer, their heads are looser and the winter cabbages are denser, you know, because they're colder and they, the recipe can vary because like any recipe, one avocado, some of my avocados are this big and I'm not kidding. We have this tree that gives these huge avocados. So what you want to do is you're going to realize that any recipe that you follow, especially using natural ingredients, it's going to vary a little bit. But usually what I do is I'll take two to three heads of cabbage, um, depending how dense they are, if it's a winter or summer cabbage, cut them really, really thin, you take it and you masticate it, you put it in a big, huge bowl, and you're adding to each head of cabbage, about a tablespoon to two tablespoons of cabbage, again, depending on how big or how dense the cabbage is, better to add less salt at first, because you can always add more salt easier than you can add more cabbage if you only have two or three heads of cabbage. So go easy on the salt at first, follow the directions in the book, or you can Google it or watch a YouTube video too. But you just cut it really, really thin, put it in a jar. And for about eight to 10 minutes, you are getting a workout on your fingers. And then usually at that time, that time, I love caraway. I love fennel. You're massaging. Break this down for me as somebody who has not done this myself. You're massaging the cabbage that you've sliced up, much like what you would see in a jar of cabbage. I mean, of course, it's much more coarse at this point. You're massaging it with pickling salts, correct? No, not pickling salts. You want to get salt. See, salt is so important. I mean, we die without salt and we die with too much salt. Our blood pressure goes off the charts. So salt is huge and it is the main ingredient other than the vegetable that you're fermenting is a salt. So get the highest quality salt. Go out and knock yourself out and spend an extra 50% more. Never use iodized salt ever in your life, but go ahead and get some beautiful Himalayan salt go to the health food store, go any health food store is going to have high quality salt. 
And each of the salts have different minerals because they come from different places of the world. So I have black salt, I have pink Himalayan salt. What we use most of the time is I happen to live in Hawaii. We go and we harvest the salt from the rocks here and we get like, this salt is so concentrated. And then again, getting back to a simple recipe, some salts, just like some wines have higher content of alcohol in them, salts too. So I have to use less salt when I use the Hawaiian salt or this really rich Himalayan salt that I have versus just a white crystallized salt. So you really want to taste it. Salt is key ingredient, super simple, either a tablespoon or a tablespoon and a half to a head of cabbage, throw that high quality nutrient dense salt, which all those minerals will again become more bioavailable to you in the fermentation process. So you're getting the benefits of the nutrients and the trace minerals and the salt in addition to the great benefits of the sauerkraut. So are you adding water at that stage? No, never add water to sauerkraut. Okay, didn't know. So again, you're just massaging the cabbage with salt. Just imagine you're getting massaged by a fabulous masseuse who understands the lymphatic system. It's pulling out, drawing out, you're drawing out. But that water isn't bad lymph. It's you're just drawing it out, okay? Whatever, it's actually good. So the salt itself extracts the water from the cabbage and you keep that water as your pickling juice, so to speak. It's probably settles within the bowl or the jar that you're massaging it in, correct? The first time you do it, you're just like, the first three or four minutes you're going, this woman's crazy, she can't be doing. And then all of a sudden you get this little pool of water and then all of a sudden it just, all the cells in the cabbage start to really break down like all at once. It's kind of like the compost heap theory. And then it's all fired up. The bowl of cabbage goes from this to this. You see, it's like, whoa, she said three heads of cabbage. What is she talking about? Three heads of cabbage is going to take up this. And it does. It's a very big in your bowl. But by the time you're done with it, you're going to have an inch or depending on the type of bowl you're using, you're going to have enough juice, no water to add into your jar. Now, here's something that I wanted to mention. I was getting back to caraway seeds, fennel seeds. Oh, they add the flavor, right? Oh, not only do they add the flavor, the nutrients that are in these underutilized seeds, like you might, oh, have caraway rye bread or have a little cumin seed with my Mexican food. These are power seeds. These seeds are full of digestive enzymes. They're full of minerals and flavor. Well, we're maybe used to maybe the flavor, a little bit of flavor like coriander, which is actually cilantro, right? The coriander seed in a sauerkraut or one of the fermented foods, you are not only getting the flavor, but you're getting this seeds. Just think of a seed bursting out of the ground, out of the earth. When you take a seed and you put it in your ferments and it's bursting the nutrients from that seed in there, and again, making those nutrients in the salt and the seed and the cabbage more nutrient dense. I look at it as medicine. I'll throw in fresh turmeric. I'll throw in ginger in my sauerkraut, fresh ginger. I'll throw in garlic. Oh my gosh. But sometimes I use, like if I get a lot of garlic, it'll be like a garlic kraut. So I imagine that you're not sitting there when you're looking at something like the cauliflower, garlic, red pepper, purchased off the store shelf, like you can make this at home. But I imagine that you're not sitting there and massaging the cauliflower to break it down to get the moisture out of it. So how do you approach this differently than you would the cabbage deep massage? (laughs) 
that's what's so cool about this. Like you bake a biscotti one way, a sourdough bread another way, and cobbler another way, right? So there are certain recipes, they have similar transformative action because we're using similar things, but they're very, very different. The sauerkraut recipe is very, very different. And I just want to take one step backwards on that sauerkraut recipe. So you can do your own thing, right? You're like an artist in the kitchen. The kitchen is the altar of your home and the fermentation vegetables are like the preacher in the room. I mean, because they just express themselves. What I do, if you're making big batches, they have special sauerkraut vessels that you can buy and they're kind of expensive and they have a weight on them, but not necessary the way I teach you. But with about two or three heads of cabbage, usually make almost two, one gallon of sauerkraut. So I get those half gallon jars, 64 ounce jars. And you want to pack that sauerkraut into the jars. And I use a funnel. And if you watch the video, you'll see me doing this. And then I use my Vitamix plunger, or you can use some kind of a thing that's about two inches around on the base of the bottom. And you'll pack it in as tight as you can. But you make sure when you're making your sauerkraut, and this goes for all your fermented vegetables, that you want to leave about an inch at the top because it's going to grow because those enzymes are going to grow and they're going to work. So you pack that sauerkraut in there and then you pour the juice in to the very top. You want to make sure all of your fermented vegetables, including your sauerkraut, is covered in liquid because you want no oxygen to get in there because that's when mold happens. And this brings us back to the compost heap. If you make your sauerkraut wrong, it's going to get moldy and it's not going to get hot and fiery and bubble over. It's going to get sick and stink. Okay, so that's why that compost analogy is so important. You want just the right amount of ingredients, the right amount of ratio of salt to water, NPK like the compost. You want the right amount of liquid on top. Unlike the compost, you're keeping any oxygen out instead of that because you've already turned it in the bowl. But you, now it's sitting and it's just cooking. And I always put a leaf on the top because sometimes you get something that's called a creme. And this is for all the vegetables and I'll teach you this in a second. This creme is actually a yeast. And some people think it's a mold and it's white. And you go, oh my God. Actually, it's really good for you. So you put that leaf on top. And so if you do get any of this yeast growing on top, this creme, you can just pull it off. And then guess what you do with that leaf? You throw it in the compost and it fires up your compost. Or you can put it down your garbage disposal and it's got all those nutrients. We flush leftover juice from ferments if we have too much of it down the toilet. It's the best rotor-rooter there is. It's full of microbes, right? Why are we putting these chemicals down the toilet and so forth? Back to the cabbage. That is the same process that I'm talking to you about for all the vegetables. That's about the only thing that's the same. Making sure it's packed in the jar, whether it's cauliflower or broccoli, making sure that there's the liquid making sure that there's some kind of a green leafy thing. And a lot of people like to put a weight. Now I use clean beach rocks. You can just take a beach rock and put it in. But usually now I'm so good at the measurements, I don't worry about it. And I always have enough green leaf. I stop with the weights. When I was doing it commercially, we were doing this commercially for a while, making huge vats of this and selling it at our farmer's market, which is a great thing to do. That's another story for another day. But we went commercial and we, we did sell it at the farmer's market. So we we're making these huge vats. So we did used to use, we filled up a plastic Ziploc bag, and you can do this at home too, with salt brine. And pack that if you're doing a big vessel, pack that on top. So if it does open 
or you've got that salt brine, you get the weight. And then if it does leak out, you're getting the salt brine in there. But back to this, then you take your jar of the sauerkraut, you put the lid on very loose and you put your sauerkraut, and this goes for all your fermented vegetables. You put the sauerkraut in a bowl or some kind of vessel. You say you have two half gallons because we just made a recipe with three cabbages that's going to make about a gallon. You put those in a jar in some kind of a bowl with just a little lip because what's going to happen with this or any of your fermented foods is about two or three days into the process, it's going to start cooking literally in the jar and you'll start seeing little bubbles. And if the lid's on too tight and it goes too fast, I had things explode. Not pretty, but that's really exciting because that means it's active. So you want to let a little air out, but not enough so that air gets in. You don't want gnats in there or bugs to get in there. So you can even put a plate on top of a big bowl if you're doing it in a ceramic bowl. This is really, really important part of the recipe for anything that you ferment. I never use metal. I never use metal in when I'm stirring. I never use metal when I'm serving. I never use metal bowls when I'm making my sauerkraut. It reacts because it's a chemical reaction that's happening. It's breaking things down. So you don't want to do this in plastic either. So this is even why you might hear people who are making kombucha, they always say stir the tea with a wooden spoon. A wooden spoon. Yeah, it's always a wooden spoon and you're making in a glass or something along those lines. So I use a glass pitcher, wooden spoon. I have my specific sugar that I like to use to ferment. And unlike the commercially available stuff, I let it go to the point where it is very brute. Like let's say it was a champagne. There's not a lot of residual sugar left. So it's all that fermented product. And then I'll do things like mix it with my iced tea because I like the flavor. I am so glad you said tea because that is the other ingredient you asked about making it crunchy. So what I do is put an organic black tea bag in all my ferments. If you have grape leaves, you can use grape leaves. And what it is, is there is a compound in grape leaves that's also in tea that will keep your ferments crunchy. And we'll have to look that up and put it in the uh, chat notes because I'm having a brain freeze. It'll come to me at midnight. But the black tea or the grape leaves are excellent if you want a more crunchy ferment. If you want a more crunchy ferment, you can also add a little extra salt. If you need to be on a low sodium diet, you can add lemon juice, but you're not going to have as crunchy as a ferment. And you can get all this information out of my book, like not using the metal, not using using the black tea, all of that is in there. But here's the cool part that we're going to transition from the sauerkraut. Now to your question was, you don't do the same thing to these vegetables, right? To cauliflower, and this beautiful Christmas cauliflower and broccoli and red pepper ferment that we're going to talk about right now, which could also be cherry tomatoes and garlic with fresh oregano in it. So you can see your palate, your mouth starting to water already. It sounds like the Italian antipasta dishes that we make. So I love it. Yes. Throw some olives in there too while you're at it. Well, you know, olives are already kind of a fermented process. They're salted and brined. I don't know. People don't really know that. And if you didn't process them, they are a great food. Beer and wine, the original beer and wine, when you make it yourself, just like when you make kombucha or you make jun at home, it is health food. They made beer and wine with fermenting grains, fermented grapes, fermented fruits. 
But as soon as you heat anything up, like the sauerkraut that's shelf stable or the pickles that are shelf stable, you are destroying what we're talking about making here. You totally destroy the probiotics. So then you have to go to the store and you have to spend a lot of money and buy them. If you want to be super healthy, save money is take that hour on a Sunday once a month. You can make your own homemade wines. I don't have that in this book, but you can make your homemade beers. You can make, like you say, yogurts and all these other fermented foods that when even getting the yogurts and the kefirs in the refrigerator, you're going to get way more benefits. Like Karina was just mentioning, when you buy products that say live enzymes, whatever, they'll, they're going to be a way better choice than buying a Danon or anything that's sweetened or sugar. That's immediately counterproductive to your gut microbiome. It's just sugar. <laughs> yeah. And then some sort of emulsifying agents are typically in those too. Your yogurt should get liquid on top when you cut that spoon into it. If it doesn't have that liquid that restores on top, then it basically means you're not using a live product. So if you do buy commercially available yogurts, look for the stuff that has live bacteria. Absolutely. I even noticed in Costco, they had a refrigerated sauerkraut that praised that it had all this bacteria. Yeah, I've used that sauerkraut. It's very good. <laughs> you can now purchase this in most health food store. A lot of people like myself, when I did this like 15 years ago and I had my own commercial ferment thing going on and educating people at the farmer's market, it's a great way to serve your community, not just your gut microbiome community, but your community at large. You could be making this in a commercial kitchen and selling it locally in your stores. And if somebody hasn't beat you to the punch, that's the business but the cauliflower and the broccoli and the red pepper recipe that we were talking about for a great holiday gift is very different. You make a brine, those same 64 ounce half gallon jars, put two and a half, three tablespoons of salt. Again, remember, not all salt is created equal. So you want to taste your brine, okay? You want to make sure it's not too salty. So maybe start with two tablespoons and maybe you know you want them extra crispy products. So you maybe add a little bit more tea or an extra black tea bag or some more grape leaves into your brine or into the, actually you would add the tea leaves and the tea bag and grape leaf into your jar. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the black tea too, because our audience may not be aware of this, but black tea is also a fermented product. It's the same green tea leaves that have been fermented. So that's probably part of why it works that way. Yeah, that is why I can't, but oh, tannic acid, that's it. Tannic acid, yeah, the tannins, right. That's why plants love it too. You take those tannins, this is a trick for planting your own garden. Like let's say you're making your potted plants garden, they have that hole in the bottom. In order to prevent the soil from falling out the bottom, the trick is you just take a black tea bag that you've used, you put it at the bottom, the soil won't therefore fall through. It provides really nice tannins for the plant so that its root system can thrive. That little bit of caffeine is also very healthy for the plant. Oh, I love that idea. You God, that is good. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. And then you get the drainage. Oh, there's a rainbow out here. You guys, you got to come visit me. On the Aloha Island. That's right. Yeah. So you take this jar. Let's get back. I want to teach people to get inspired to do this for the holiday gift because it's so fun and easy. So you just take this 64 ounce half gallon jar and you fill it with filtered water and you add your salt to it. There's your brine. So then you take your jars and you fill them and you don't have to just limit it to cauliflower, broccoli, and red peppers. You can do all kinds of things. You can do daikon radishes and red radishes together. Oh, stunning holiday. 
add some fresh basil leaves to it, add some garlic. I'm saying when I teach my culinary classes and I teach people how to make fermented, it's not just sauerkraut, people. It's like pairing a fine wine with a meal. You pull out, you know how impressive it is when I have a dinner party and I'm pulling out three or four different ferments and they're all different colors and they all have different, completely unique, different flavors. And not only that, some might have a little more vitamin K, a little bit more vitamin D. Some might have more enzyme properties because I'm using the fennel and I'm using the caraway and the dill seeds or whatever. It's your palate. You want to please the palate. You want to think about, wow, I'm going to make this ferment because in two weeks it's Thanksgiving or next week it's Thanksgiving. And in three to five days, you can have a ferment. What ferment do I want to serve with that turkey dinner or that tofuti dinner that I'm making? You can be doing this right now or depending on where people are listening to this. So it doesn't take that many days, but it's part of the menu planning of that and the beauty. So let's get back to how to make this because I know our time is coming up. So super easy. You've got your brine. You've got all these varieties of vegetables, whatever they are, cauliflower, broccoli, red pepper. You've got green tomatoes and red peppers and garlic. You've got daikon and regular radishes. You've got daikon radishes. You've got all these things, jars there, and you've got this brine. And you've got these pint jars because you're going to give some as gifts or they'll fit in your refrigerator better. Maybe you got your pint jars, a whole 64 ounce jar will fill like four to six, depending on how much you packed it jars. So that one brine, but all the recipes are individual in each jar. You can do them all the same, but if you want to be creative and just say, I want to try using some aniseed and fennel seed and a cinnamon stick because I need to work on my blood sugar. You can put that in with your cauliflower. It's delicious. Juniper berries, pickling spices. And this is why I love when I'm teaching these classes, I love getting people like so inspired because like all of a sudden it's like, like you're the master of your own microbiome. You're the master of your palate. You're making all the food that you eat more bioavailability. You're impressing your guests. You've taken this time with yourself or your family or a best friend to create this magical transformative action of enzymes in your kitchen, in the altar of your home. And you're being able to not only express yourself, but you're being able to express your love and your appreciation for the mother earth, for your digestive system, to the farmer who feeds us all, who's growing these beautiful vegetables. And you are creating a Picasso. Yeah, I love this. I want to mention something right now because as it stands, so many people when they start to trend plant-based and also when they want more whole foods in their diet, often they'll find themselves in a situation where they've just overbought produce. They have all this produce in their refrigerator and some of it is going to start to go bad. If you do things like make soups and make ferments, that's just not going to happen to you because you'll always have something to do with what might be a surplus vegetable buy. I tend to overbuy cucumbers when I go to a farmer's market and they look good and they're super crisp and they're on sale. But when I bring them home, I'll say, okay, I'm going to make that cucumber juice. I'll peel some of them up and I'll use some of that in my compost. But then make this really clean tasting cucumber juice that I might mix with some other juices that I'm making. And it's just a divine treat for me. I've never made pickles. So now I think I'm going to use some of the methods that are featured in your book, which I will be sure to link with show notes. And I'm going to create my first ferments myself. I've not made sauerkraut. I've not made 
any of these sorts of mixes that sound a little more Italian with your cauliflower and your garlic and your red pepper and all these things. And it sounds so easy. So I'm all over it. This is going to end up being holiday gifts for people, I think. I love that. I'm so happy to hear you say that. And I think you will do, and you're going to get your kids involved and they're going to love it. But I just want to mention one thing to everybody when you're purchasing, whether it's surplus or something on sale, or you have all of a sudden all these collard greens and Swiss chard greens, because greens are great. Like usually I throw collard greens or Swiss, whatever greens I have extra kale, I throw it in my sauerkraut and you get two or three toned sauerkrauts that are stunning. But the pickles is very important because you know how when you go to the store and it'll say pickling cucumbers. Oh, right. And they're thinner skinned, generally speaking, right? Yeah. And they're shorter and you can fit a whole one in the jar. There's different ways to slice the pickles to get them in there. So you really want to pay attention to that. So you want to look at my book, read, watch some other things because you want it to be set up for success. You don't want to have like these stinky cucumbers that end up having brown. They're too thick a skin. They have that waxy kind of thick skin. Those aren't used for pickling. Great for juicing, great for consuming in other ways, but not for pickling. And celery, adding celery in with your pickle. Celery is a great thing to ferment. And celery and cucumbers, as we know, are some of the most cleansing foods you can eat. Also really great in soups. You can use celery and celery root in your soups. Really great for this season. So if it starts to get wilty in your drawer, time to make a soup. Time to make a soup. Oh my gosh, I just love this conversation and I am so excited you have such great questions. And is there anything else you or your audience would want to know about lacto-fermented vegetables that I can share right now? You know, I think we're just going to have to include a link to watch that video you mentioned. I can actually upload that as bonus content for the community as well, just so that they're sure to be able to dive a little bit more deeply and they can see you at work in your kitchen which I think will just be marvelous. I love that. And if anybody wants more one-on-one, I love doing culinary classes. I do them virtually and in my home at the farmstead in always in season. And it's such a gift and a blessing every time when I see someone get turned on and united back with the source of their microbiome. It is onolicious. Onolicious. Ono. Delicious in Hawaiian, correct? I think I still remember. Onolicious and delicious in Hawaiian. Yeah, that's correct. Great. Well, I will be sure to include links to where everyone can find you, including your Facebook group, which also will give people clues to when you're hosting episodes of your podcast, A Dose of Positivity, because you record those live with a community present on Thursday afternoons at 4 p.m. my time Pacific, 7 p.m. Hawaiian, I believe. So I just think that's fabulous. It's a great opportunity for people to stay informed, get to know you a little bit better, be a part of a community. And community is so critical when we're talking about health and nutrition. So I love what you do there. And I will be sure to include all of that with our show notes as well. Any closing words, Mama Donna? Yeah, I just love you. I love what you're doing. Take charge of your health, everyone. The smartest doctor in the room is you. That's right. 100%. Nobody knows what you need better than you. And the closer we get to nature, the closer we get to our true nature. So get outside, get into nature. As soon as it's warm enough, go barefoot, feel the microbiome in the soil. It is constantly fermenting. It is constantly transforming. And and it'll help you transform into a better human. And so just want to say big, big love and aloha and mahalo, mahalo for having me on your incredible show. Nutrition without compromise is critically important. 
I mean, in name of your title, you nailed it right there. And I am a big fan of the Orlo products, you guys. That is one thing that I want to end saying. It's the only supplement really that I'm taking right now in addition to my fermented foods. Having that blue-green algae, which is it's critical, and I'm not. She didn't ask me to say that, but I just think it's really important for you to realize it is really helpful. It's helped my skin. It helps with my digestion, overall health. So if you're not on that yet, I would totally check it out because it is really good for me and it's working. And I thank you so much for turning me and my community onto this great product, Karina. It's really awesome. Well, you're so welcome. And in my world, it's a service to humanity because I know so much about everything that omega-3s can do for you and providing it in a way that can be its most absorbable. So the omegas get to work in your body, much the way fermented nutrients get to work in your body. They're alive. It's just so amazing. And I feel like these two stories told together has just been I hope very helpful for our audience and that we can all continue on this learning journey together. So thank you so much. So go out and get cultured. Yeah, get cultured. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Mahalo. Mahalo. Now to find out more about Mama Donna, just visit orlonutrition.com. I will include our complete blog, including features you won't find anywhere else. And that video that we mentioned a few times throughout this show. If you have questions about what we covered or topics that you'd like us to dive into, please always reach out. You can send me an email note to hello at orlonutrition.com or via social channels at orlonutrition. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 